Amen. So this is a time in the gathering where we do what's called the passing of the peace. And we celebrate now uh, that we've been reconciled to God and been reconciled to one another. And so let's take a few moments and, and greet one another in the gospel. And new members, come welcome the new members into our church. Hug their necks. Give them a kiss on the cheek, that sort of thing. Uh, so take a moment. Greet one another. You guys, uh, if this is your first time here, my name is Garrison, and I'm the pastor here at Veritas Dayton. Uh, we're very... Deuteronomy 6, and we're going to be looking specifically at verses 4 to 9. We're continuing in and actually finishing up Sunday our, our sermon series on the family. We've, we've spent the last four Sundays, this is the fourth Sunday, in a sermon series on the family. Um, and this will be uh, the last Sunday for that. And next week, we're going to begin a sermon series, a lengthy sermon series in the book of Galatians. We're going to be looking at the definition of the gospel and things like justification by faith alone and living a life of freedom in Christ. And we're going to spend most of the, the, the rest of the year in the book of Galatians. And so I'm, I'm really, really excited about that. Uh, if, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's, uh, there should be white paperback Bibles on the benches um, where you are seated. Uh, Deuteronomy 6 is on page 87 of those white Bibles if you want to pick that up. If, if you don't have a Bible, take that one home. Uh, we want to, to give that to you, and, and we want you to make it your own and, and read it and consume it and, and obey it. Um, Quickly, there's a Connect card attached to the bulletin that you received when you walked in this morning. Uh, if you just want to take a look at that, there's some, some kind of next steps, things that are going on uh, in our church family, and um, some good ways for you to get plugged into what God is doing here at our church. And particularly, if you would fill out the prayer request section of that, we would love to be able to pray for you this week. If you want to fill that out, give it to a leader, drop it in the bucket over here or in the black box on the welcome table. We'd love to be able to pray for you this week. We count it a joy to be able to do that. Uh, all right, so this is the last Sunday of our sermon series on the family. Uh, to just give you a little bit of a review of where we've been as we finish up. First, we started the sermon series looking at Genesis uh, 1, verses 26 to 30, and, and the majority of uh, Genesis chapter 2. And we zeroed in on Genesis 1, 28, where we saw what's called the creation date. Um, and and uh, in Genesis 1:28, we saw how the role, this creation mandate, the role given to humanity is to exercise dominion on God's behalf on the earth, to steward the earth on God's behalf. And to that end, we are to subdue creation and cultivate it and order and develop God's creation in our vocations and in our families. We are to multiply and procreate, to fill the earth with God's image bearers uh, in order to exercise dominion on his behalf. And this, this mission is re- stated in the new covenant in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, where we see the great commission. We see that Jesus is given all dominion over all creation. And then he tells us his bride to go into all the earth and be fruitful and multiply and to make disciples of all nations. And then we looked uh, in the next Sunday, we looked at the role of marriage within this overall mission. We saw in Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, how God designed marriage to be a picture of the gospel. In, in the union that a man and a woman experience in marriage and the roles that they're called to fulfill in marriage, marriage is an illustration or a parable of the gospel. As a man leads and disciples his wife, and as the text says, washes his wife with the water of the word, as he loves her with sanctifying love, marriage reveals the gospel to us. 
And then last week, JJ walked us through Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, where we see instructions for the household for children and for parents. And children are called upon uh, by God to obey their parents. And, and parents are called to raise their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Parents are called to bring their kids up in a way that continually points them to Christ so that they would become disciples of Christ. And so with the reason that the family exists being to make disciples and with the call on husbands to wash their wives in the water of the word and the call by parents to bring their children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, we come to the last sermon of the series. We're going to be looking at the family and family discipleship, family devotion, if you would. And so let's dig into Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. If you want to stand with me for the reading of God's holy word. We want to read this with reverence, but also with joy, because this is the voice of our God. This is the voice of our God. And this is what he says to us here this morning as his church. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, your word is perfect. Your word is our final authority. Your word is powerful. And so we ask this morning that you would accompany the power of the the word with the power of the spirit and that you would transform our hearts, that you would sanctify us in your truth, Lord. Your word is truth. Lord, would you help us to submit to your word? Lord, would uh, would you help us to not just be hearers of the word, but also to be doers of the word? God, and would you help me to, um, to be faithful in the dividing and applying of your word? Lord, if there's anything that I say that, that isn't true, that isn't in accordance with your word, would you uh, help it to fall on deaf ears, help us to forget about it this morning? But for uh, those things that are in accordance with your word and, and in accordance with the truth of your word, would you apply them to our consciences now? Would you sanctify us? Would you convict us and comfort us? With your word, would you tear down and build up? Would you pluck up and plant? Would you convict and comfort now, Lord? Lord, we need you. We're dependent upon you. We can do nothing apart from you. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. All right, so parents, you have 18 years. 18 years with your children, 18 years. That's 6,570 days. 
6,570 days. And I know as newer parents, we hear all the time, for those of us who are newer parents here, we hear all the time from veteran parents, it's going to go by like that. It's going to go by so quickly. Before you know it, they'll be grown, they'll be moving out of the house. It'll go by so fast. We, we hear that so much that eventually you just kind of laugh and say, yeah, yeah, I know. And I know at times as parents, for, for little ones especially, it seems like things are going so slow. When you haven't slept for a straight eight hours for over a year, or uh, it, when you're standing there with a mountain of diapers, or when the, the teething seems like it's not going to stop and there's no relief, it can seem like time is moving so slowly, but 18 years, 6,570 days is not that much time. And that's what you have with your kids, Lord willing. And so you, you should be thinking about what, what sort of people do we want them to be when they leave our house? What sort of people do we want them to be? And because that's the, the little amount of time that we have, and because it's just easier to go into a sort of default mode and not be intentional about cultivating the garden of our home and the lives of our families, it's easy to let the weeds grow wild, to not do that day-to-day -day monotonous work of pruning and watering and, and all of those sorts of things. It's easy to go into default mode with our families and with parenting. And there are two ways I think this commonly happens to us. There are two common ways that we kind of go into default mode with our families and particularly with parenting and our children. The first is what I like to call uh, airplane mode, not like with your phone, uh, but if you've ever traveled on an airplane with little ones, you know what I mean. Uh, airplane mode parenting, I don't care what you do, just behave. Uh, just don't annoy everyone else on the plane. Please don't embarrass me, just behave. Uh, if, if you've ever been on a plane ride uh, where parents have little ones that are like losing their minds. It can be so, so difficult and so annoying, but, but you, please be patient with them. It, it, the parents are probably dying inside. It's so embarrassing. And so you feel so bad for everyone else on the plane. Uh, but it, the, the airplane mode parenting, the mindset is, I don't care, just behave. I don't care if you watch a million TV shows. I don't care if you play stupid, mind-numbing video games. I don't care if you eat a million Twinkies or Ho-Hos. Just behave. Just behave. And often in the craziness of life, parents, even Christian parents, we fall in the same sort of mindset with parenting. We just go, I don't care. Just behave. I don't care. Just get good grades. I don't care. Just don't inconvenience me with your bad behavior. I, I, I don't care. Be as engulfed in entertainment as you like. Spend as much time out of the home as you like. Do whatever you want as long as you just behave. Or even among spouses, we can get into this, this kind of mindset. Don't, don't bother me with your issues. I don't want to have long conversations about things that you're struggling with right now. I, I, I just want to go in airplane mode. And so we end up just being households full of little moralists, families that, that behave well, but there's no life, there's no vitality, no joy, no devotion. Kids behave well, but they don't see their parents as being devoted to much else other than keeping up appearances. And that's what they're taught is important rather than, than us teaching them that the chief end of their existence is to glorify and enjoy God forever. And the second default mode that we often fall into as families is what we could uh, call Martha mode. 
Uh, Martha mode. If you've read in Luke 10, you'd be familiar with the story about Mary and Martha, their sisters. They invite Jesus uh, over for dinner. And you know, funny side note about the gospel according to Luke. If, if you read the gospel of Luke, it's like the gospel of Jesus eating. He's always either on his way to eat somewhere or eating or leaving the place that he just ate. It's crazy. Just a lot of eating. And in one of these uh, interesting moments where he's eating, He's uh, at Mary and Martha's house, and, and while he was there, Martha was cooking and cleaning and doing the dishes, just being very, very busy, being an incredibly good entertainer and host. But, you know, Mary just sat there listening to Jesus and spending time with Jesus. And so Martha speaks up, and she tells Jesus what to do. She says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve all alone? Tell her then to help me. It's always a good idea to tell Jesus what to do. To which Jesus responds, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing, one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion that will not be taken away from her. And so Martha, one thing is necessary, and that is to sit at my feet, that is to commune with me, to know me, to love me, not to busy yourself with service and activities, and Mary has chosen the better portion, and we often go into a similar sort of default mode with our families. We, we busy ourselves with activities. We schedule things every single night of the week. For those of us with, with young kids, we might not be getting there quite yet, but the time is coming where, where we got to do Junior's Little League on this night and Princess's uh, Ballet on, on this night. And, and, and mom and dad have these church events and, and ministries and all of these things to, to go be a part of, even good things that we schedule every single night of the week. And every single night of the week is taken up by something so that we never have time as families to just open up God's word and read and pray together. Just spending time growing and knowing God and knowing one another. And so we go into default mode of just behavioralism or busyness or, or, or you name it. It could be an addiction to entertainment. It could be the obsessive drive to fill your house with stuff and fill your bank account with money. Your household, though, will be devoted to something. There's no neutrality here. Your household will be devoted to something. The question is, what will you be devoted to? And my hope is that our church is full of families who say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will be devoted to God and his word, to his gospel. Because let, let me tell you, every single person in your family will stand before judgment when Christ returns every single person. Husbands, you will stand before the judgment of God and have to give an account for how you led your wife. Parents, you will have to stand before the judgment of God and have to give an account for how you led your families, your children, your your, your, how you parented. And simply saying, we wanted them to just behave or we were just so incredibly busy will not be words you want to come out of your mouth. So my hope that this morning, our church family, we can grow in our homes and families, not being marked by good behavior or busyness or whatever else, but that we would be marked by wholehearted, de fervent devotion to knowing God and making him known. And I hope that you get a vision this morning for your family's discipleship and devotion, and that we grow in devoting our homes to 
being Christ-honoring, Christ-exalting homes. My hope is that we as a church family can implement some of the things discussed here this morning so that rather than airplane mode or, or Martha mode, Uh, style of family and parenting. Our homes are marked by a life of all-encompassing, soulful devotion to God and his word. And so the sort of big point is this. God demands our complete devotion. Therefore, your home ought to be ordered in a way that is wholly devoted to him. God demands your complete devotion. Therefore, your home ought to be ordered in a way that is wholly devoted to him. And so we'll quickly walk through three points, the God of devotion, the root of devotion, and the habit of devotion. Uh, Now, if you're not familiar with the text that we just looked at a few moments ago in Deuteronomy 6, this is what is often referred to as the, the Shema. Uh, And and the reason that it's called the Shema is because uh, Shema is the Hebrew word that means hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Uh, And this is a text that is enormously important to God's people in both the Old and New Covenant. This is is basically the creed of the nation of Israel. Actually, if you you were to go to a synagogue service today, uh, you would hear them recite this creed together. Uh, in the same way that you would hear us recite the Apostles' Creed together. They would recite this creed together. And not only that, but the Israelites actually made it a regular practice to say this in their prayers in the morning and in the evening. They would wake up in the morning, they would say a blessing to God, and then recite this creed. And then before they laid down at night, they would say two blessings uh, and then recite this creed again to God. And this was and is a central passage for the people of God and our understanding of who God is. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And it tells us a multitude of important things, but just two really quickly. First, it tells us that there's only one true God. There's only one true God. This, this is central to our life and belief as God's people. As Christians, we believe that there's only one true God, one being who is God. And as scripture progressively reveals this one God to us, we also see that this one God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This, this is the one God who created all things and who alone deserves our worship and devotion. So first, it tells us that that there's only one true God. Second, it also reveals to us that this one God alone should be worshiped. He he is the sole God who should be, he's the only one who should be worshiped, who is worthy of our devotion. He alone is the creator and the redeemer and the king of the universe. He alone deserves our adoration and worship and praise and devotion. And the type of devotion that he deserves as the one true God is a devotion that goes as deep as our souls, but also as wide as our entire life. The the type of devotion that he demands permeates everything that we say and do and think and feel. He demands our soul and ultimate allegiance. And so we are to order our lives and homes around him and his word, not, not around our hobbies, not around entertainment, not around our kids, not around our jobs. We order our lives and homes with the one true God at the center of it all. This one God alone deserves our wholehearted devotion. And he not only deserves it, he also demands it. Look with me next at the root of devotion. Told you we'd move quickly through these things. Uh, verse five, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And Jesus called this the greatest commandment. It's the commandment that if we were to obey it, would lead to obedience to all other commandments. And St. Augustine once said, love God and do what you please. 
Because if you love God, you'll only want to do what pleases him. This is what motivates all of our obedience and devotion. And so love is the root of devotion. It's the source, the beginning, the motivation of devotion to God. And the type of love that that God is demanding from his people here is not a half-hearted, mildly devoted, second thought kind of love. It's a love that encompasses the whole person. Look, look, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart. That is to say, with a love that demands your, your intellect and your will and the intentions behind your actions. Your, your, your character, your decisions, your intention behind every act should be love for God. And then not only that, you are to love the Lord your God with all your soul, or to love the Lord your God with all your soul. That is to say, you should love him with your emotions and your longings and your desires. And so the command to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul means that you are to love God with all that is within you. All of your inner person, your thinking, your intentions, your moral choices and will, your longings and desires are to be oriented toward this one true God. But then he still goes on further. You're to love the Lord your God with all your might. With all your might. This this literally means you are to love him with all your very muchness. Love him with all your very muchness. And so what that means is that our love for him should be excessive. It should be over the top. We are to love him with a zeal that consumes our entire life. As Charles Spurgeon said about this text, it's not a little love that God deserves, nor is it a little love that he will accept. He demands a love that is deep and wide, that encompasses all we say and do and think and feel and own. He demands it all. And so you might be thinking or should be thinking, I don't do that. I don't love God the way that I should. My love is shallow. My love is weak. My love is narrow. My my life is a far cry from God being at the center of my motivation and and, and my affections and my, my desires and longings and thinking and intentions. My life is a far cry from that. And so what do we do? What do we do when we don't love God, what do we do when we don't love God? I would say two things. First, look to Jesus. Let's let's look at the only one who did ever love God in this way. Actually, there were three people who ever loved God in this way, but two of them, Adam and Eve, they stopped loving God in this way. One, Jesus, he never stopped, never has stopped loving God in this way. Jesus, he perfectly loves God. He loves God with all of his heart and soul and might. He is wholly devoted to God. And we see this love for God displayed in its fullness at the cross. At the cross, we see him obey God out of a deep and lasting and persevering love for God. Even though the cost was so great, even though the cost was so enormous and painful and excruciating, he devoted all that he was, he sacrificed all that he was to be a sacrifice for our sins in obedience to God. This is where we see the greatest example of love for God displayed. 
But not only that, at the cross, we also see it's here at the cross that we receive forgiveness for our rebellion against and hatred of God before we come to know him and even for our weak and pathetic love for God after we come to know him. And so what do we do when we don't love God? We sit at the foot of the cross. We sit at the foot of the cross. We receive God's forgiveness through the cross of Christ, and in doing so, we are transformed and compelled to love God in response to his great love for us at the foot of the cross. What do we see in 1 John 4.19? We love, we love because he first loved us. If you don't love God, sit at the foot of the cross where his great love is displayed and be transformed, be compelled, be stirred to love in response. The second thing we must do is cling to his promise. Cling to his promise. Verse 6 says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now we need to do a little bit of work to understand this, but what is meant here by these words is, is the, the Ten Commandments that are given in the previous chapter of Deuteronomy. Uh, and if you were part of uh, our series in the Ten Commandments uh, a few months ago, you, you remember the, the, the Ten Commandments are actually in the book of Exodus uh, in, in chapter 20, and you're right, they, they, they are. Uh, the, the title of this book, Deuteronomy, actually means second law or second giving of the law. It's, it's God repeating his law to, to his people before they go into the promised land. And, and probably the biggest emphasis of the book of Deuteronomy is that God's people are to internalize God's commandments. Uh, Moses has, has already given God's people God's law decades ago, and he has walked with them through their disobedience and their stubbornness and their sinfulness and their messiness for the last several decades. And so at this point, I can imagine Moses, he's probably exhausted with these people. And he's telling them, you need these commandments written on your hearts. You are ignorant and sinful and wicked. You need these commandments on your heart. The external commandment is not enough. You need them inside of you. The problem is they can't do it. We can't do it. We can't love God with our own strength. We're too wicked. We're too sinful. We can't do the transformative work of writing God's law on our hearts. And so the Holy Spirit has to do that. But we receive this wonderful promise in the following books of, of Holy Scripture. In Jeremiah 31, 33, we see the Lord promise this. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And then also in Ezekiel 36, 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And so this is the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit in the new covenant. In the new covenant in Christ, we are given the Holy Spirit so that we have God's law internally. It's no, it's no longer just written on tablets of stone, but it's written on our hearts. And by the power of the Spirit, we then respond to this wonderful love displayed for us at the cross. In other words, in Christ Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can love God. That's not to say that our love is exactly what it should be. 
Due to remaining sin within us until the return of Christ, we still struggle to grow in and cultivate our love for our Savior God. But that just reminds us to go through these two steps over and over and over again. Go back to the foot of the cross and cling to the promises of Jesus. Look at the cross. Sit at the foot of the cross. Cling to his promise of having his spirit, his law written on our hearts. As we do that over and over and over again, we grow in love for our Savior God. That's that, and this love is the root of our devotion for him. Listen, parents, you can tell your kids to do all the right things. You, you, you can tell your kids that they're supposed to love God. You can give them all the talks, give them all the commandments, give them all the formative and corrective discipline, and you should. You need to do those things. But if they don't have God's law written on their hearts, there's no hope. And so as a family, you should be continually going back and sitting at the foot of the cross together. You should be continually telling your children about the promises of God and teaching them to cling to his promises. And then also, your parents, your, your children are going to pick up on what you love most and what you're most devoted to. They're going to pick up on this. What they're going to pick up on, what's going to speak loudest to them and form them the most is what you love. What do you love? What are you passionate? What are you devoted to? Are you devoted to the things of God? Are you devoted to the gospel of God? Are you devoted to Christ and his word? Are you devoted to sitting at the foot of the cross? Are you devoted to clinging to the promises of God? Your children are going to see that. They're, they're going to pick up on that. And that's going to form them in terms of what they think is most important. Now think about the, the football uh, team, or I guess it's March. So think about the basketball teams. I know about sports. And uh, think about the basketball teams that you root for in your home. You, never have to, you don't ever have to sit your kids down and talk with them about this is the, this is the team that our family roots for. And, and if you don't root for them, you're not going to be in this family anymore. You never have to sit them down and say that. They just see as mom and dad are sitting in front of the TV and getting excited when this team scores or wins the game or this team loses and, and, and they're not doing so well and the disappointment that comes thereafter. They, they see that. They're watching you. They see what you love. They see what you're devoted to and it's forming them and it's forming what they are going to be devoted to. It's forming what they love. And so I, I would just ask you, parents, if we were to sit down together and take an inventory of your home, of your schedule, of your habits, of your, of your spending, what would it tell us about what you love? What would we conclude about what is at the center of your home? Is, is, it, is it God and his word? Or would we conclude that what you love most and what you're training your kids to love most is, is comfort or, or entertainment or productivity or money or possessions or, or what? If we took an inventory of your habits and your schedule and your spending and conversation in your home, what would we conclude about what you love most and what you've built and are building your lives around? And this is, this is a question that could be posed to you no matter what stage of life you're in. If you're uh, a parent or, or married or single or, or not a parent or grandparenting or, or whatever. 
But I want to particularly address the parents in the room of little ones. There's so many of you. Because you have a great opportunity laid before you right now. You, you have a wonderful opportunity laid before you right now. You have, you have one of the greatest opportunities for discipleship that you will ever have in your life. I mean, these, these kids, they have to follow you around for 18 years. They don't have any other choice. If you, if you set a, a meeting time for you to get together and read, they have to show up. They have no other choice. You have a wonderful Opportunity. They, they have no choice but to be trained and discipled and formed by you. But it's not only an opportunity, it's also a command. You are demanded. You, God has laid the demand at your feet. You are commanded by our holy God to diligently teach your children his word. Now look at verses seven to nine here. You shall teach them diligently to your children, the commandments. You're to teach them diligently and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, Moses is saying, let the word of God permeate your home. Teach it to your children. Speak of God's word when you wake up in the morning. Speak of it when you are spending time together as a family during the day. Speak of it when you're driving someplace, when you're going through McDonald's drive through Speak of it when you lay down at night. Put God's word on your refrigerator and on the walls of your home and on the mirror and everywhere. Your devotion to God must be manifested in your home as a wholehearted devotion to his word. Let God's word be like the air you breathe in your home so that your children are familiar with God's word and so that speaking of it and thinking on it is just as natural as breathing. And this is where we move into discussing the habit of devotion. So I just want to get really practical and just talk about the holy responsibility that parents have to diligently teach their children. Parents, you are to diligently teach your children about the Word of God. And so my, my question is, when do you do this? As, as we look at this text, it, 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 and it tells us to diligently teach our children, when do you do this? I, I know that as we look at it, it seems to be calling for like a sort of everyday, all day sort of thing. So to be smart, you could possibly just say, we have like 16 hours of family devotions all day, every day. No matter where we're going, what we're doing, we're talking about the scriptures. It permeates everything. And that's true. You should do that. But let's get real for a moment. If you don't schedule this, if you don't intentionally set aside time to diligently teach your children, it just won't happen. And so I want to ask you again, when do you do this? Or if we want to remember the text that we looked at the last several weeks, uh, Ephesians 5.26, Husbands, when do you wash your, your wife in the water of the word? Ephesians 6.4, Parents, when do you instruct your children in the Lord? When do you diligently teach your children? When do you do this? And now this is where I want to get really practical. I want to commend to you the establishing of, of, of the daily habit of doing this, diligently teaching your children. I want, I want to commend to you the daily practice, the daily habit of what's often called family worship or, or family devotions. 
Uh, And church history has been called a number of things, family prayer or family altar. I don't really care what you call it. I just want you to do it. So if you're not familiar with the practice here, here's a quick rundown of of what it looks like. We, We as Christians, we believe that God is to be worshiped everywhere and at all times, no matter what we're doing. We're to do everything with the motivation of bringing glory and honor and praise to God. But God also demands that we give ourselves to practices of conscious and and focused worship. And there are three main places that this should happen. First, we engage in conscious worship with God's church when we gather on Sunday mornings like this. Here, we gather as God's people to, to encourage one another, to build one another up in the gospel, to receive from God's word and the Lord's supper and to speak back to him in prayer and praise together as a body. And then we also engage in conscious worship privately on our own throughout the week. We engage in daily Bible reading and meditation and study and prayer. And then the third arena in which conscious worship is to take place is is with our families and family worship. And I want to commend this practice to you because I I believe that it's one of the clearest expressions and evidences that, that a family is devoted to God and his word. In fact, in the past, throughout church history, there have been churches that actually publicly rebuked and withheld the Lord's Supper from fathers who didn't lead their families in daily family worship. Perhaps that sounds like legalism to you, but but that should at least tell you something of the weightiness and the importance of the sacred practice that we're called to in our homes. Let me say this, parents, I'm convinced that this is one of the most important things that our family has implemented in our home. The the growth that Amy and I have experienced has been enormous. The way that it's enabled us to do this on the way sort of discussion about the scriptures has been incredible. Now, whenever we're laying down for bed at night or on our way somewhere, waking up in the morning, we we can all go as a family, uh, we can all go through the Ten Commandments together or the Lord's Prayer or the Apostles' Creed or whatever scripture memory verse that we are going through at the time. And we all have these things memorized together and we go through them together out loud. And the reason we can do that is because we have given ourselves to the daily practice of family worship, a time of focused and conscious praise. And it's had enormous impact on forming us as a God-centered, Bible-saturated home. So, okay, what do you do? What, what takes place in family worship or, or family devotions? Uh, well, I'm, I'm not of a mind to say that there's like a one-size-fits-all sort of thing that you need to do. Uh, but I, I do believe you should just take 10, 15 minutes, really short, 10, 15 minutes uh, every day to do the following things as a family for family worship time. First, you should be reading the Bible together. You should be reading the Bible together. Take several minutes, reverently read the Bible out loud together. If your kids are older, maybe you can read a bit longer If your kids are younger, maybe keep it shorter. Just read paragraph at a time or whatever. What we do at our house uh, and what we've laid out on our family worship guide, actually, that is available on the table out here every week is just following along in the scripture text that we're in Sunday morning together. And that's a wonderful way that we've been able to shape our lives around our our common life together as a church. Uh, And if you don't want to do that, that's fine too. Uh, But just read the Bible together. As a family, no need to preach a sermon, no need to do a Bible study or even provide any sort of commentary in the text. Just read the Bible out loud together. And second, you should be praying together. You should pray together. At our house, we close our time of family worship together with prayer. 
And we ask if there's anything specific that, that uh, we need to be praying for. We also recently, we started asking Lavinia uh, if she wants to pray for anyone particular uh, that's a part of our church. And so uh, our family is daily praying for one or, or several of you at a time for our family worship time together. And this is also a good opportunity to, to pray for missionaries overseas or any sort of particular missionary efforts. Spend some time praying together as a family. Third, you should sing together. You should sing together. It doesn't need to be amazing. You don't need to be particularly gifted like Brian at singing and shredding on the guitar. You don't need to do that. You can just try to sing something every week. Just sing without music, a cappella. Just try to sing something. For those of us with really young children, it's probably a good idea to just spend months learning one particular song. Uh, our, our daughter has memorized Holy, 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 Come Thou Fount, and In Christ Alone, but it took like months to get those three down. And so it's just fun for kids learning a song. It's, it's just fun. They love learning new songs, and it teaches them about the gospel, and they love the communal act of singing together. It's such a sweet, sweet thing to do together. And fourth, you should do a catechism. You should do a catechism. Uh, this might be somewhat of an unfamiliar word with you. A catechism is simply a series of questions and answers that helps us learn the basics of our faith. Uh, and so there are a lot of good catechisms out there. And so you might be confused about which one to choose. Don't worry, we've got you. There's one on the classroom guide that we send you home with every week, parents. There's one on the classroom guide. Uh, and, and, and that's the one that we would encourage you to use um, and in fact, also on the classroom guide, we have the scripture text from the previous Sunday that we were looking for, looking through together. We have the hymn that the kids are learning uh, to, to prepare for the family Sundays that we have once a quarter. And then they have a list of catechism questions on there that you can go through. So you don't even have to go through the process of figuring all this out. You don't have to go through the process of figuring out a reading plan or a catechism to go through or a hymn to learn. You don't have to go through any of that. You, you have all of this on a paper that you can go through together easy peasy. And if you're, if you're an adult and you want to go through a catechism uh, with you and your wife, there's, there's several good ones that I would suggest. Just come find me afterward and, and we'd love to talk with you about that. But that's all. It doesn't need to be long. Just take 10, 15 minutes out of the 960 minutes that you spend awake every single day. I'd also say this. If you're confused at all about what uh, and how to begin this practice with your family in your home, uh, come speak with me. My, my family or plenty of other families in our church would love to have you over for dinner and show you how this takes place in our homes. Or, or if you're single and you just want to join a family in this, invite yourself over to someone's house and just join right in. We, 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 I want you to know we are serious. We're committed to helping families disciple and raise their children to be God-honoring, Christ-exalting, spirit-empowered followers of Jesus. I long for that. I beg God for that on my knees. And I'll just ask you, as we close, what are your daily habits and practices telling your children about what you find most valuable? What are your habits telling your children about what you love? Are you living a life? Is your home marked by devotion to stuff, money, comfort, to productivity and busyness, to being entertained? Does your life revolve around the TV? Does your life revolve around the acquisition of things? Or are you wholly devoted to God and his word? Is he what fills your thoughts and conversations? 
Is your home saturated with God's word and your conversations and activities? The type of devotion that God demands is none less than that. And how could we give him any less? How could we give him any less when he's been so good to us? When he's so worthy a redeemer, when, when he's given up his own son for us, when Christ has subjected himself to torture and crucifixion and death, when he raised us from our spiritual death, how could we give him any less than that? When he gives us a righteousness, not our own, and forgives all of our sin, when he's done all this and more, how could we give him any less than our wholehearted, whole life, whole home devotion? Let's pray together.